0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good morning. That was strong. I loved it. Fantastic. I could hear it. We are here to let God know that we are here because he is here. We are here because he made us to be here so that we might enjoy his love and fellowship and share that same joy with each other. So let us be called together in worship then as we read together from the ninth psalm. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for judgment. the 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 Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Friends, let us worship God.
1: Having joined our hearts in the call to worship and hearing the music of giving glory to God, let us also come before God humbly, confess our sins and the need for forgiveness. Will you please join me as together we read the prayer of confession in your bulletin? Almighty and merciful God, we have erred and have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare those who confess their fault. Restore those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to the world in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And grant, O merciful God, for his sake, that we may live a holy, just, and humble life to the glory of your name, amen. Hear now these words of assurance. Jesus Christ, though he was known in the form of God, did not regard regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but rather emptied himself. Taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. Therefore, brothers and sisters, as Christ has died for us and rose for us, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now, may the peace of Christ be with you. you. Take those strong voices out into the world and share that peace of Christ. Amen.
0: We often say that the church is a family, and like every family, we've had a chance to say hello to God and to say hello to each other and be assured of God's love and forgiveness. And also, like every family, when we get together, we need to share some gossip with each other. Boy, the stories I could tell about you guys. We'll share some news instead. We just want you to be sure that you know that today is the last day that we will have our representatives from North County Interfaith at the Homeless Veterans Initiative table outside. We are continuing to raise funds for that ministry, of course, throughout the year. And if you'd like to participate in helping establish a home for a homeless veteran, this is a great way to do it. So be sure to stop by the table out on the patio today or go onto the church website or email Jen. And for more information. Next Sunday, we're going to ask for your blood. The San Diego Red Cross Blood Mobile will be here in the South parking lot. If you'd like to donate, you can go online to the addresses that we've sent through our emails, and you can register for an appointment there. If we are completely full, as we often are, then save your blood for the next time. We'll be back. On Saturday, October 9th, we'll have a Plant With Purpose Gala. Plant With Purpose is that ministry through which we help people around the world uh, to replant their forests, to engage in sustainable farming techniques, and in many other ways to help take care of themselves. So that event will be both in person and online. Again, you can go onto the church website for more information. And then just a quick note, on Saturday the 16th, we'll be going down into Mexico to build a home with a family there. So mark that on your calendar and please be sure to take advantage of all these ways of serving the Lord Jesus as we continue to expand his family around the world.
2: In faith, hope, and love, this is the time in our worship service where we present our prayers of intercession and thanksgiving to the Lord. I'll offer words on our behalf and then we'll close with the words of the Lord's Prayer. Let us look to God in prayer. Gracious and loving Father, who in Jesus Christ demonstrates love and in the Holy Spirit you enable us to love and to live for you. We thank you for your mighty love that redeems us that abides with us, that steadfastly holds us and the world in your care. From our homes in this sanctuary and wherever your people are gathered and scattered today, we know that we are present with you and your love accompanies us on our life's journey. Remind us and impress upon us that whatever challenges and problems we face, no matter the size of the trial, notwithstanding the doubts that may linger, and regardless of the amount of time of waiting, remind us, Lord, that you are with us, that you have not let us go, that your faithfulness is sure and certain. In the certainty of your love, Heavenly Father, we come as your children, praying and petitioning you for help. You alone are both able and willing to help for we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. For all those who are sick and ailing in mind, body, and spirit, we pray for healing and wholeness. We pray for caregivers, for medical personnel, for first responders, for resilience and endurance for them. For every household and every family, from the two-parent household, for the single parent, for the unmarried, the newly married, For the divorced, for the first career, for the mid-career, for those near retirement and retiree, for the older adult, for the widow and widower, for the infant, the school age, the teenager, the young adult. In every age, gracious God, you are our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. In sickness and in health, in our riches and in our poverty, you are our security. In times of war and in times of peace, you are our refuge and protector. In the world's hunger, you are our provider and you are the bread of life. In the world's injustice and violence, you are our righteous judge. Be all of that for us, loving God, and so much more. Demonstrate that you hear us, would you, Heavenly Father? Because we weep in our grieving because we wonder in our questions and doubts, because we are frustrated in trying and trying and in our waiting, because we are tired and weary. Hold us, Heavenly Father. Love us, Lord Jesus. Save us, Holy Spirit. Even now in our worship, instill in us contrite and humble hearts, for this is the sacrifice of worship that is acceptable to you. Speak through Pastor Jack your word of love, your word of hope, your word of life. Come on, Spirit of life, awaken dead hearts. Come on, Spirit of fire, empower us. Come on, Spirit of the wind, breathe upon us. Come on, Holy Spirit, move among us. Come, Lord Jesus, hear us. Come, Lord Jesus, and pray with us as we pray with you to our Heavenly Father, the words you taught us. Amen.
0: I invite you to stand with me now as you are able so that we may give our full attention to the reading and the hearing of God's word as we find it recorded in the book of the Old Testament prophet Micah and then in the gospel according to Luke. Let us hear God's word for our lives today. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. He said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What do you read there? And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our two scriptures for today are very familiar to serious Christians. Oftentimes, preachers like to stay away from these kinds of scriptures because we know you've already heard them. We know you've already heard sermons about them. And the temptation is simply now to turn off your brain and Put your heart into rest mode because you know everything that I'm going to say. Don't even think it. These are so familiar because they're so good. And they are so good because they speak to us continually and deeply and often in new and fresh ways that we need to hear. And so to start our consideration of these two famous and familiar passages, I would like for us to consider for a moment the geopolitical scene in the 1950s and 1960s and how world politics affected the architecture of our homes. Got that? Okay, hang with me. It's all going to make sense. In the 1950s and the 1960s, the United States of America and the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics were engaged in a titanic struggle that was called the Cold War. Many of us lived through the Cold War. At stake were the economic and political and military ways of controlling the whole world. And the primary weapon that each of those two superpowers had were nuclear bombs. As a child growing up in the 1950s and the 1960s, I constantly heard, as did so many of us here, about the threat of nuclear annihilation. And in school, we prepared for that threat. Every once in a while, we would have a bomb drill where we would be told about the cataclysmic annihilation of all things that might come And so we needed to be prepared when the bell sounded and the teacher began to yell at us. We needed to be prepared to go to where it was safe. (laughs) To dive under our desks. (laughs) It's hard to make fun of such a dire prospect, but there it is. Now I mentioned that this geopolitical tension gave rise to new forms of home architecture. How many of you grew up with a house that had a bomb shelter in it? Just a handful. Bomb shelters were designed to be places that were a little bit safer, thank you very much, than diving under our desks. My family did not have a bomb shelter. Under our house there was only rocks, and it was too hard to build one, I suppose. But Helen grew up with a bomb shelter in her home. It was downstairs under the ground where every proper bomb shelter should be. Above it was the garage. To get into the bomb shelter, you entered either through an obscure door that was hidden behind some things in the downstairs family room or the even more obscure route going down the stairs from in the garage. And heaven help you if you could actually find your way into and through the garage to find the bomb shelter, but it was there. It was lined with thick concrete walls and a roof and a floor, On one side were simple wooden bunk beds, on the other side were shelves designed to hold all the food that would be put there, and then a single light bulb dangling from the ceiling. That's the place where perhaps you could be safe for a while. The bomb shelter presented a conundrum not just to Helen's family, but to everyone who had access to a bomb shelter. And that's what I want to talk about, really, is the bomb shelter conundrum. The family was supposed to huddle there when the sirens went off. The family of five was supposed to shut the door and lock themselves in and lock everybody else out. And so there was the question. Can you actually lock everybody else out? What about your neighbors who live just a few feet away from you and who are some of your dearest friends? What will happen if Dad can't make it home from the Sandia Laboratories where some of those bombs are built? Will you keep him out if he doesn't get there in time? What if your best friend is banging on the door, longing to come in? Will you keep them out? Who is your neighbor? A young lawyer tried to test Jesus so that he could trap Jesus. And so he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said love God, love your neighbor. And the young lawyer, continuing the interrogation, said, well, just who is my neighbor? And so Jesus told a story. We know the story as being about the good Samaritan. We have a window right over there that pictures most of the folks in that story. And we think we know the story, but we can never know the story well enough, and we can never let the story leave our conscious minds and our beating hearts. You know a lot of what the story is about. At one level, it's about the question of, of who is the neighbor, really? Is it someone who lives next door These days, maybe we don't even know our neighbors, but back in the 50s and the 60s, you knew at least some of your neighbors. Who are your neighbors? Do you know them? If you know them, perhaps you even like them. (laughs) But how far does the neighborhood go? Does it go to the next street? Does it go just to the boundaries of your development and there's someone who lives in some other development? How big is the neighborhood? Is it a hundred feet away or a hundred miles? Why not 10,000 miles? What about the neighbors themselves? What if we don't like them? What if they don't like us? Are they still our neighbors? In Jesus' story, he does not answer the question, really, of who is the neighbor. He talks about who acts in a neighborly fashion. And in doing that, He actually called into question the young lawyer's perception of who his neighbors were as well as helped him learn more about being a neighbor. But let's talk first of all about who our neighbors are. We say this is the story of the Good Samaritan, but most of us today don't really understand what a Samaritan was, especially to the young lawyer who was asking the question. Over the course of Israel's history, when the Hebrew slaves came into Egypt, some of them intermarried with the local population of non-Jews, some of them did not. Those who did not tended to settle in the southern region of Israel, and they established the temple in Jerusalem and developed what they considered to be a pure Judaism. The Samaritans, though, were half-breeds, and I use that term on purpose. There's something about human beings that doesn't like half of anything. We don't like to mix things up. We like pure gold. We like pure silver. We like pure breads but the Samaritans were half-breeds. They actually went so far as to develop their own subculture within Judaism. They lived in the regions of Israel north of Jerusalem. They developed their own capital city, their own temple, their own worship. And as a result, in the Judaism of Jesus' day, you had a very, very severe and unmistakable dividing line between the Samaritans and the purebred Jews. You could not find anywhere else in human history or culture a better example of two groups of people almost identical to each other, but who hated each other. If you want to talk about prejudice, if you want to talk about a political divide, you would talk about the Samaritans. And so, for Jesus to introduce a Samaritan into his story who ends up being the good guy, this was an unthinkable thing to the lawyer. The lawyer would automatically hate the Samaritan. But then, of course, in Jesus' telling of the story, the lawyer had to admit that this hated Samaritan was the true neighbor. Therefore, perhaps even the Samaritans might be our neighbors. Here's one point of the story, and it's not the last one I'm going to make, so stay awake. One point of the story is that everyone is your neighbor. And I use that term on purpose. Every one. Whether they live across the street, whether they live across the ocean, they are your neighbor. Let's keep on going. There's another level at which we can understand this amazing story, and that is as we look at the people in the story. I have stolen this information. I'll be very honest with you about it. I hope the pronunciation of the assurance of pardon was good, I'm asking forgiveness. I've stolen this story from Hill Carmichael, a great commentary on the people in the story. I read this commentary a couple of weeks ago, and and Carmichael talked about someone that I had never really seriously considered in the story of the Good Samaritan. Our window pictures the poor, helpless victim on the road and the Good Samaritan, and then over on the side you have the priest and the Levite, but there's one other person in this story that's never pictured and never mentioned so far as I've ever seen, and that's the robber. Without the robber or robbers, there would be no story. Hill points out the fact that the ethic of the robber is, what is yours is mine at whatever cost, even the cost of your life. We know people. We know groups. We know entire nations that are willing to take from others regardless of the cost to others. And we do not like to admit that sometimes we might be them. But we have to entertain that possibility. Perhaps we can identify a bit more with the priest and the Levite, the second type of people. Carmichael says that their ethic is what is mine is mine, and I must protect it even if it means you get hurt in the process. I've earned it. I own it, it belongs to me, and you have no claim on it. We know what that is. Be honest with yourself that we want to protect what we have. And we're not always willing to give up or to share what we have. The third person in the story, of course, is the Samaritan, whose ethic is this. What is mine is yours if you have need of it. The Samaritan risked his life even to stop at the side of the road. The Samaritan risked his wealth in order to take care of the victim. The Samaritan's ethic was all about the need of the other person. I hope you've learned by now that Jesus' purpose down here with us was to teach us how life is supposed to work and the only way that life actually truly works for everyone. We've been talking about that as we've been talking about coming home to God. We want to come home to where God welcomes us into that place from which we are born, through which we get nurture and sustenance and identity. We want to come home to that place where our true foundation is in life as we go deep into the things of God. We want to come home to where we can be complete and perfect and safe and happy. And what the story of the Good Samaritan tells us is that we can never be truly at home with all of the blessings that home implies until everyone is there with us. If you want to make your happy little home in that bomb shelter, how happy can it be? How safe and secure can it be when your neighbor is on the other side of the door? If we are going to come home to God, we must welcome others into our home as well, and all that that implies. Years ago, our church adopted a mission statement and a motto. You're familiar with the first four words of it following Jesus for life. Then we adopted another statement that, that fleshes out what it means for you and me to follow Jesus, a statement of the great ends or the purposes of the church, it's an old statement that says that the church exists for the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind and for the shelter, nurture, and spiritual fellowship of the children of God and for the maintenance of divine worship and the preservation of the truth and the, pre- the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven to the world. Those are five of the sixth. The sixth reads this way. The church exists. For the promotion of social righteousness. Who's going to argue with righteousness? We like righteousness. We like to think that we're righteous. We know that God is righteous. Righteousness is when everything is right. When everything is the way it is supposed to be. That's what righteousness is. And that's what the church is about. Is promoting working toward, living by, extending to others the rightness of the way that God means for the world to be. Righteousness is when everything is right, or another way to say it, when everything is just. We live in a world where there is a great deal of injustice. Another way to say that in almost identical fashion is that we live in a world where there is a great deal of unrighteousness. Righteousness in Scripture is defined by Micah and adopted by Jesus, not as bringing your ten thousands of rivers of oil or your ten thousands of cattle on the hillside to sacrifice, but doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God. It is not right for a man to be robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. It is not right for others to ignore his need. It is right, righteous, just for every human being to care about all other human beings regardless if we are a solitary individual walking down a dangerous road or an entire nation living in a dangerous world. We need to talk and we start the conversation today in a way about the problems of justice in our society. We're all tired of hearing it, I know. We all wish it would go away and that the world would be filled with puppy dogs and unicorns and rainbows and big huge bowls of vanilla ice cream. But the world is also filled with racial injustice and with arguments over sexual ethics and immigration and violence against women and children and the elderly. The world is filled with problems as we try to work toward democracy and freedom, but we run smack dab up against totalitarian rule and subjection. The world is full of conversations and problems with genocide and infanticide and economic and military oppression and robbery and rape and murder, and the list goes on and on and on every single one of those things that we do not like to think about and that are difficult for us to talk about are things that we must engage if we believe the story of the Good Samaritan. At its root, every problem that we face is a problem of whether or not we will stop by the side of the road to take care of a fellow human being. Christians are people who follow Jesus. We find our home in God as we follow Jesus, and we find that we cannot truly be in our home with God unless we welcome everybody else in. Is it complicated? Yes. Are there many things to consider? Yes. Are there different perspectives and ways of approaching our problems? Yes, but we cannot truly love God and neighbor without engaging all the problems that our neighbors face because they're our problems too. We cannot simply go into the shelter and shut the door and say that we're done. We have to open the door, whatever that means, to our brothers and sisters, to our neighbors. You and I have a choice to make about what kind of person we're going to be in this world Are we going to be the kind who are in it only for ourselves and are willing to take it from everybody else regardless of what happens to them? Are we going to be the kind who are in it for ourselves and we try to protect what we've managed to scrape together for ourselves and not worry about what you may or may not have? Or are we the kind who see the world as Jesus saw the world, as the Samaritan lived in the world? A world full of people who need us to take the time and the trouble and the risk to stop and minister to a hurting world. We may be safe and secure in our own little bomb shelters of our own making, but what about our neighbors standing outside? Which of these three, Jesus said, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the, la- the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise.
2: Amen. Thank you, Jack. Friends, let us affirm our faith through the words of the Confession of 1967 in one voice. To be reconciled to God is to be sent into the world as his reconciling community. This community, the church universal, is entrusted with God's message of reconciliation and shares his labor of healing the enmities which separate men from God and from each other. Christ has called the church to this mission and given it the gift of the Holy Spirit. The church maintains continuity with the apostles and with Israel by faithful obedience to his call.
0: Martin Luther King Jr. once said that the priest and the Levite likely asked, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? The Samaritan likely asked a very different question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Jesus stopped here because He was worried about what would happen to us. Shall we do the same for others? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us today and always. Amen.